the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are rocking and rolling on this Tuesday. It's the 13th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Merry Christmas to you and to yours. We'll continue to say that all the way through the Christmas season. I'm liking, by the way, the responses in public. It's, uh, you know, through the years, it's kind of become a bit of a crapshoot. Whether or not Merry Christmas is going to be frowned upon, whether or not you're going to get scowls, whether or not you're going to get, I don't do Christmas. I say happy holidays. Why don't you try to be a little bit nicer, a little bit more inclusive? Nobody really said that to me. But the attitude that I'm talking about is real. I have gotten... Everybody that I have wished a Merry Christmas to in public, stores, you know, uh, wherever you might be encountering people that you have to talk to, you know, clerks and so forth. Not that I walk up and down grocery aisles talking to random people. But when you have to talk to people uh, for, for whatever reasons, I do the Merry Christmas thing and I get a smile. And oftentimes in the last week or so since I started doing it, I actually get a thank you for saying that. I've actually had a few of those. Thank you for saying that, not just a Merry Christmas back, but a thank you for saying that, because I think it's on the mind of a lot of people. I do. I think it's on the mind of a lot of Christians, and with good reason. 
So uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. I certainly appreciate you being with us uh, this morning. We've got a lot of important things to do today. One guest, we're going to be talking to Peter Kirsten now in an hour, and uh, Pete's going to have some thoughts. We're going to ask his, we're going to pick his brain on Supreme Court matters, because we always do. Supreme Court hearing Biden's latest appeal for student loan cancellation, ripping money away from those who have already paid off their loans and are now just paying their taxes, taking those tax dollars away from them and using it to pay off the loans for people who won't pay off theirs who said i didn't know it's gonna be this expensive i didn't know he had to pay them for years and years i wouldn't have taken them yeah you would have you're 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 stupid and you're lazy and you wanted to go to college to play beer pong and you did and after two or three years you dropped out or maybe you stuck it out and graduated with a degree in nothingness that's going to pay you nothingness and now you're crying that you got to pay the bills back don't let me hear your, your sob story why should you take the money from me? Why should you take the money from your own classmates that you graduated high school with who didn't go to college because they don't want to take on the loans that you are now strapped with? And they went to electrician school, or they went to plumber school. They went to uh, electronic, or I mean not electronics, um, uh, uh, what's the other one I was looking for, for crying out loud? Um, that doesn't matter. But, but they t- uh, welding is one I was going to say. There we go. It just came back. So maybe I'm an electrician, a welder, a plumber, or whatever. Learned a trade and going to make pretty damn good money with it, too. And they didn't have this big, giant, massive student loan hanging over their heads now. Now you want to hang this over their heads anyway because you don't want to pay yours back? And Joe Brandon, in just a blatant political move, is trying to make that happen? It is ridiculous. It is unconstitutional particularly since this is being done by executive order. And, yes, it will be shut down and shot down by the Supreme Court. So uh, the court uh, agreed yesterday to hear the latest uh, appeal of the judge's ruling that found this plan to be unlawful, to be unconstitutional. The justices will consider the uh, Biden administration's appeal of the Texas-based U.S. District Judge Mark Pittman's decision uh, in a challenge backed by conservative uh, conservative ad- advocacy group the second of two rulings by lower courts that put this policy on ice so we'll see major uh, obstacle facing those who challenge the program is they have to show legal standing this is always an issue uh to sue by illustrating how they are harmed by the program i just described it in a general sense but of course they'll have to get much more specific if the Supreme Court were to conclude the state or individuals have standing and then reach the legal question of whether Biden had the authority to forgive the loans, which he does not, and I don't have to be a lawyer to know that, the administration would face an uphill battle with the court's conservative majority skeptical of broad assertions of federal power. That is very obvious. So we're going to talk to Peter about that a little bit. Also going to talk about the latest round of the Twitter files. The fifth installment of Elon Musk's Twitter files was dumped yesterday, and it revealed that staffers for the social media company that used to be run by the skinny jean-wearing, gauge-hanging man buns in Silicon Valley uh, believe that the tweets written by a former president by the name of Donald J. Trump around the events of January 6th had not actually violated its policies, despite the company saying so at the time. Barry Weiss, who released this on behalf of Elon Musk, uh, cited dissenters within Twitter that did not want to ban Trump, including one who wrote, maybe because I'm from China? I deeply understand how censorship can destroy the public conversation. How about that? A Chinese, I don't know if it's Chinese-American or just a Chinese student or somebody here on a work visa, 
But the person working for Twitter from China knows what it's like, what censorship is all about from living in and under the CCP rule. Barry Weiss uh, tweeted the Twitter files, part five, the removal of Trump from Twitter. Despite the findings of Twitter employees, Executive Vijaya Gaddy looked for a workaround, looked for an excuse to ban Trump anyway by suggesting Trump's not-in-violation tweets were actually coded incitement. And that's a word, those are words we're going to talk about today with Peter, and I welcome your thoughts on this too. Aren't you just about tired of being told that anything that you criticize on the American left is considered to be an incitement to violence? Elon Musk tweeted himself, the owner of Twitter now, he tweeted himself on Sunday. We didn't talk about this much yesterday because we were talking all about the uh, uh, Bill 178, uh, Senate Bill 178 in the Ohio General Assembly, which we'll talk about again a little bit later. Thanks to Andy Brenner, Senator, for coming on uh, the show yesterday. And then also he spent an hour with us last night on uh, our podcast. Jack Windsor and I had him on Talking Smack uh, last night. And I'll play some of that for you, too, by the way. So we'll come back to uh, House, or, uh, Senate Bill 178 and where that goes in a bit. But um, talking a little bit about what uh, Elon Musk said on Sunday, he tweeted a pronoun joke. He said, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci, which everybody has pronoun jokes because we're all making fun of the ridiculous pronoun movement, the movement that says you can choose your own parts of speech that best identify you. In other words, language doesn't matter. We can completely upend the English language, we can create words that don't exist to call them our quote-unquote pronouns. We can take words that do exist and make them completely inaccurate by using plural forms like they and them to refer to singular individuals who don't feel like they just can be put into one box as one individual, female or male. And, you know, I mean, because there's so many different facets of me, there's like more than one me, so you can call me they and them. No, I can't, and no, I won't, and no, nor will I ever. So this pronoun, ridiculous, you know, thing, and, I, and I, and as a matter of fact, I had to do this yesterday, too. I just got tired of it, uh, of it all, and I just put it up on uh, Twitter, uh, which you can follow me there at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, uh, R-A-N-T-Z, and I put it up on Facebook, too, and it's just a simple reminder, uh, and, and I hope people accept it as such. Human beings are either male or female. That is it. There is no door number three. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. There is no door number three. They're either male or they're female. And I wrote, males are referred to by the masculine pronouns he, him, and his. Females are referred to by the feminine pronouns she, her, and hers. This is universal. And this is not subject to interpretation. That's it. Class dismissed. You probably were taught this in third grade, in fourth grade, in fifth grade, in sixth grade, reinforcing it in seventh and eighth grade. I know. I used to teach seventh grade English for crying out loud. You were taught this, and you know this, and now they're asking you to forget this. So in mockery of this nonsense, this lunacy, this normalization of uh, personality disorders, which is all this is, in uh, mockery of that, 
uh, people are putting their own different pronouns on their bio lines, for example, on Twitter and Facebook, like mine, up slash yours. That's just the way I feel about it, and a lot of people have similar things. Well, Elon Musk did. My pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. And the left went ballistic. This is dangerous. First of all, it is mocking the trans movement and the trans agenda by did by by marginalizing and diminishing persons uh, people's personal identities by by mocking the entire pronoun change movement. And second of all, this incites violence. This puts Dr. Fauci in danger. Wait a minute. Did it say? beat Fauci up in public? Did it say kidnap Fauci? Did it say threaten Fauci? Did it say harm Fauci? Or did it say prosecute Fauci? You know, for a myriad of crimes against humanity, including funding of -of gain-of-function research in a Chinese lab, allowing or, wink-wink, you know, I guess it's wink-wink allowing or intentionally releasing this this virus upon the planet to see exactly what they could do with it and about it. Gain-of-function research is illegal in virtually every country, and they did it and he funded it. Then he instituted policies by way of being the foremost quote-unquote expert in the American government. Everybody has to listen to Fauci, who makes more money than any other federal employee in the country, makes more than the president, a lot more. Then he instituted policies that destroyed large swaths of this nation, pushing ridiculous policies on people with respect to closing businesses, distancing, masking, shutting down schools, and more. Not to mention the continued promotion and the lies about the poison darts that he wanted everybody to take in their arms. All of the things that he did, so Musk said prosecute Fauci. And the left went ballistic. That's, I'm just, I'm just done with the, that's an incitement to violence every time you criticize the left. If you criticize child groomers by way of, um, you know, drag queen story hours for little kids, if you criticize that, you're inciting violence. If you criticize the overt sexualization of children by asking or teaching them about sexuality, sexual orientation, sexual attraction, and sexual identities when they're in preschool and in primary grades, if you condemn that, you are visiting violence Upon the LGBTQ XYZ exclamation point and percent question mark hashtag dollar sign and whatever the hell else they want to be called, you're visiting violence upon them if you criticize those things. I'm tired of that. I am tired of them trying to silence reasonable people using reasonable language, using reasonable grammatical rules, using reasonable arguments, making reasonable scientific questions of findings and results by a politicized scientist or group of scientists. I am tired of being told that if we do any of those things, we are bringing violence upon those people. I'm kind of really, really pushing for this free speech thing. Maybe you heard of it. It's the First Amendment to the Constitution. I think I, I think it's got some legs. I think it might be adopted at some point, and people might push for it. 
I am going to be at the forefront of that push. It is not inciting violence. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's me, whether it's Matt Walsh, whether it's Tucker Carlson, doesn't matter. We are not inciting violence by criticizing that which is able to be criticized, that for which critique is very much deserved. We are allowed to express our opinions on these things without saying, hey, you know, because I criticized this, it's okay to go shoot up a gay club in uh, Colorado or wherever. That is not what this is. We are allowed to say what we need to say and what we believe needs to be said in public. we got a lot to get into today. We're going to talk about some of those things with Kirsten Al, but I want to talk about them with you as well. Pete's our only guest. So before the 10 o'clock hour and after the 10 o'clock hour, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Before we take that first time out, though, I'm going to, I know you're waiting for it. I know. Go ahead and stand up, patriots. Face your flag. Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer that criticizing someone on the American left means you are wishing violence upon them, well, then you have no earthly idea what the hell you're talking about or what that flag represents anyway. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, stand proudly and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 925, right back and Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. 9.36 now. Thanks for being with us. Always Right Radio indeed on AM 1420, The Answer. So um, i got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, I want to I want to follow up on yesterday's conversation. I had two long interviews, about a twenty minute or so, twenty twenty five minutes with um, uh, Senator Andy Brenner on yesterday's radio show. If you missed it, you should have heard it. It's important because today uh, they're going back into session, they're going back into committee, and they may come out with a, a House vote on what the Senate already passed, which is uh, Bill one seventy eight, Senate Bill one seventy eight, which. Um, essentially strips the Ohio Board of Education of its power and hands it to a cabinet-level appointee, a director of the DEW, which would be the Department of Education and Workforce. And that appointment would be made by the governor. And I got a whole lot of conservatives in my ears. I said this to Brenner last night. On the Last night when I say I'm talking about last night, I'm talking about uh, the podcast that I do with Jack Windsor. If you haven't checked it out yet, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, uh, goes live on stream every Monday and uh, Monday and Thursday at 7 p.m., and then it's on podcast pages everywhere. And uh, in the conversation with uh, Brenner yesterday, um, I was telling him I've got people, conservatives, in my ear, some of them saying, we've got to get this thing passed, including Eddie Brenner himself. So we've got to get this thing passed. So if we don't pass this, and we don't put this, uh, you know, uh, uh, take the power out of the hands of the far-left school board, the Ohio Board of Education, um, we're never going to have a chance. Our schools are going to continue to fail and struggle. 
Our schools are going to continue to suffer under the weight of CRT and SEL and CSE and all these other things. You know, we've got to have a chance to pass. Uh, you know, this, this bill and, uh, and, 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 and put this in a different, a different place, if you will, which would be the director's hands of this DEW. And, but I've got a whole lot of other conservatives saying, oh my gosh, don't pass this. Don't let this pass. It's time to rally. Contact your, uh, voting members of the, uh, uh, Ohio House, your state representatives, and tell them do not pass this. I mean, this is some sort of a bureaucratic nightmare. This is going to put all of the power in the hands of, uh, of, of Mike DeWine and his appointee, uh, to this DEW. We can't allow this. This is some sort of, you know, conglomeration of power, if you will, and putting it all in the hands of, of one man. And we have no course of redress. And so I'm, I'm looking at both of these sides very, very carefully. Um, and I'm not coming down on one side or the other at this moment because I'm literally, I'm, this is one of those rare occasions where I don't normally sit on fences, but I am now because I see great points on both sides. I said this to Lisa Woods in an email. I said this to uh, John Stover and to, um, who else? Um, trying, to, trying to remember some of the other people who have reached out to me on this. But conservative-minded people who have been texting and emailing, and I'm letting them kind of run together right now, so I apologize for that. But I've said, look, um, you know, the OEA, that's the Ohio Education Association, the OSBA, which is the Ohio School Boards Association, the OFT, the Ohio Federation of Teachers, these are the teachers' unions, and then the School Board Association, that are pushing all of this left-wing nonsense and this wokeism in our schools in the first place, and they are terrified of 178. They don't want it to pass, which makes me think maybe we ought to want this to pass. Um, is the enemy of my enemy my friend here? I don't know if I want to go that far, but I do have to say the fact that they don't want this because they control the board. They win the, the elections uh, for the board. There's 19 members of the Ohio School Board. 11 of them are elected. Eight of them are appointed by the governor. They have a, a Republican governor appointing left-wing radicals in the appointed spots on that board, and then they're winning the vast majority of them on the elected side. So they want that board to continue to have power. Stripping power away from that board would be a massive blow to the agenda of the teachers' unions uh, that I just listed. So part of me says, let's pass 178. But then, like I said, I've got my other friends, uh, conservative friends, saying, no, this is too much power for one man. And plus, can you trust Mike DeWine to make the right appointment here? Andy Brenner told me yesterday in both places, on the airwaves here, and then last night on Talking Smack, on my podcast, um, Andy Brenner said, you have to trust the Senate. You'll have to trust us. I said, what do you mean? He said, advice and consent. Anybody that the governor appoints in that position, they will have to approve in the Senate. They'll have to confirm them. Or her. And that's true. So what I said to Andy Brenner last night on the podcast, which is important, is, okay, give me, give me a reason to trust you and the rest of the senators. Do you have the guts to cross Mike DeWine and not, and not confirm his appointments to the school board? Because he's making appointments to the school board of leftists. Even the new appointments. One uh, one uh, uh, appointee, Mike Toll, who has requested reappointment, was not on DeWine's list for reappointment. Mike Toll is the man who wrote an amendment to strengthen and shore up support for the Shea resolution, uh, written by Brendan Shea, a board member, that 
tells the superintendent of schools to give guidance to the rest of the districts in Ohio, to all the districts in Ohio, not that they will not be um, uh, uh, updating or, or changing the Title IX protections as the federal government wants them to. The Shea resolution is extremely important. Mike Toll strengthened it. And it could pass today, by the way, after about four months of stalling. It could pass today. But Mike Toll, being a strong conservative supporter of this, wasn't on Mike DeWine's list of reappointments. So when the new Board of Education term starts, the Ohio School Board of Education, Mike Toll won't be on it. So if that's Mike DeWine's position, how can we trust him to make any decent appointments, particularly to this this directorship of the Department of Education and Workforce? And anybody said, well, we've got to, I said, okay, show me, prove to me that you will stand up against Mike DeWine and vote against his left wing uh, school board appointments. And Andy Brenner told me, all I can promise you is that I am working to keep the liberals who are on that board, the woke uh, individuals who are up for that board, I'm trying to keep them off, but he said he can't speak for the rest of the Senate. I'll be honest with you, that's not very persuasive to me. Because the rest of the Senate had an opportunity to stand up to Mike DeWine during COVID and would not do so. They had a chance to pass medical freedom bills that would protect us from governmental tyranny the next time somebody decides to appoint a walking, talking lab coat named Amy Acton to determine that this is a health emergency and that everything must be shut down. The Senate had an, had an opportunity. Mike DeWine said he would veto any such bill. And by the way, that mattered because it wasn't just for COVID. Those types of bills, like 248, were for health emergencies yet to be declared into the future. The next time they try to pull this, that there's a pandemic or an epidemic or, or a health scare or whatever, that we're never letting the, the government do that to us again. Lock us down, shut us up. We're not going to let that happen again. Mike DeWine said, I'll veto it. And the weak, <laughs> feckless Republicans in Columbus said, okay, we're sorry. Don't worry about it, Mr. Governor. We won't pass it. So I, I don't have a ton of faith in the advice and consent portion of this with the DEW, with the appointment of a director there. I would feel better if they reject during the confirmation hearings for these particular school board appointments, if they reject the left-wingers there, then I'll feel a little bit better about this, but we can't get all that done before the end of this lame duck Congress. This is the 13th of December. We can't get this done in the, in the lame duck term here of this General Assembly. There's just not enough time. So I'm thinking maybe it's time to slam the brakes on this just a little bit. Don't pass this right away. Don't pass this today, Ohio House. Even though, again, I don't want to give the left-wing school board any more time to do any more damage, particularly as it pertains to Title IX. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here and force an appointment through, you know, by, by passing 178 and giving Mike DeWine the, the ability to, to, to name somebody in this lame duck Congress and have this, or lame duck session, I should say, and then have, uh, the General Assembly or the Ohio Senate, uh, vote on confirmation before we have an idea of how they're going to vote. Because we haven't seen proof in the pudding yet. We haven't seen it uh, shake out in the uh, in the board appointments. So it's a big deal. Jack Windsor on my program, uh, our program last night, Jack and I are co-hosts of Talking Smack, 
on our podcast, Jack pointed something out that's very, very important. When it comes to appointments, Mike DeWine's track record is crap. It's crap. K-E-R-R-A-P-P, crap. He appoints people like Amy Acton. And Jack pointed this out last night. I talked to Kirsten now a bit about this last week. You knew, right, that um, Cleveland State University's John Marshall School of Law, College of Law, is changing its name. They're stripping the name of the first chief justice, John Marshall, from the, the law school. Now, there are eight trustees on the Cleveland State Board of Trustees. Eight trustees. Six of them were appointed by Mike DeWine. Two of them were appointed by fellow Republican John Kasich. And one is Paul Dolan, the co-owner of the Indians. Oh, I'm sorry. The former Indians, because Paul Dolan and the rest of the wokesters in the Dolan family caved in to political correctness when it came to the name of the baseball team. At any rate, the vote was unanimous. The vote was unanimous to change the name of the Cleveland State University School of Law, stripping John Marshall's name from it. These, these trustees were appointed by Republicans, Mike DeWine and John Kasich. And they won't even stand up for the legacy and the extraordinary influence on the growth and the expansion of the Supreme Court's powers, John Marshall, the fourth Chief Justice of the United States, and easily the most important. They took his name off because John Marshall, back at a time when virtually anybody who could afford to have slaves, had slaves, including blacks. That's right. There were black slave owners, in addition to black slaves, in the colonies, in the United States, once it became a country. Yes. But trying to judge everything that happened 250 years ago-ish, trying to judge everything that happened then by today's standards is, of course, ridiculous, impossible, and nonsensible. It makes no sense whatsoever. But this is what they're doing. Forget about all of the good that John Marshall did to advance this country. Forget about all the good. You can go through all of the founders of this great country, too, including Washington and Jefferson. All of the founders, all of the great things that they did in building this constitutional republic, which on balance has been the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization, they're looking at the the, the one bad part about their existence that they lived at a time when that's what people did. Until, of course, it was outlawed. And it was many of them that actually set the table for the coming changes to the the laws in the United States, which did ban slavery, state by state by state, and then, of course, through emancipation. But that doesn't matter. John Marshall had slaves, therefore, all of his legacy, gone. All of the things that he stood for, all of the things that he built and helped build with respect to uh, his influence on the Supreme Court, gone. And, and the, the individuals who are making this decision, all woke leftists on a board of trustees at Cleveland State University appointed by Mike freaking DeWine. Six of them by DeWine, two by Kasich, as I said. 
So my point being, and Jack's point from last night was a great one, if these are the people Mike DeWine appoints to the school board, if these are the people Mike DeWine appoints to the board of trustees at CSU, if these are the people that Mike DeWine appoints to lead the uh, COVID response, the Ohio Department of Health, people like Amy Acton, his judgment flat out sucks. It's terrible. And if Mike DeWine is the guy who's going to make the appointment to the Department of Education and Workforce, can we trust that? Can we allow that? I don't think so. Like I said, I don't want to side with the OEA, the OSBA, or the OFT at all. These are the uh, teachers unions and then the school boards association. I don't want to side with them on anything because their leftist ranks are the ones who are, you know, that are forcing these, this ridiculous curriculum on our children. And they are just diametrically opposed to 178. Uh, they're terrified of it, which makes me want to say I'm for it. But I got to tell you, given Mike DeWine that kind of unfettered power, taking the the responsibility for deciding policies, platforms, and and curricula for for Ohio schools away from the Board of Education and putting it in the hands of a Mike DeWine appointee scares the bejeebers out of me. So I don't want, I don't want that either. I do want to know what you think. 216-901-0945, AAA 281-1110. It's 9.51. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's uh, 9.55. Let's get a couple of phone calls here. The first name I see jump right out at me. It's my friend from the Ohio Roundtable and the American Policy Roundtable. Dave Zanotti is on the line. Dave, good morning and Merry Christmas. How are you, sir? Merry Christmas, Bob. It is great to hear your voice. I call to thank you. Um, I can't tell you how grateful I am for what I've just heard you go through. Um, you know, we've been in this business as this mission field for 43 years now. And most people in the conservative side play checkers, while the people on the liberal side play chess. And you figured it out. Um, the analysis that you just went through is complicated. It's hard. I wish you could have sat yes. on our staff meeting yesterday at the roundtable at the American Mission Center. We spent two and a half hours going over HDR6 and 178 and what's coming in regards to the ballot issues and the life issue question. All the things that people are concerned about for two and a half hours, layer after layer after question after question after detail. And I'm talking about texts and private texts and legislation and history and and and. It is complicated, and I know that frustrates people, but it's complicated for the reasons that you rightly detailed. And, Bob, what you've discerned is that the people who are telling us they are leaders, who are telling us they're pro-life, they're pro-parent, they're pro-school choice, they're they're pro-freedom, it comes down to the fact that they tell you one thing, but then they do another. And sometimes you have to recognize the fact that the people we have trusted are not trustworthy. And then you have to protect the future of your republic. And that's really where all of these debates are coming down to right now. And you have figured it out. And I want to commend you and I want to thank you for the analysis that you just did on the air. 
Well, Dave, I appreciate that. I wish I felt more confident in what I figured out here because, uh, like I said, there's, I, I really, I, I think John Stover said it very well yesterday in his impassioned uh, argument against this bill. But he did say, you know, uh, a half a glass of strict nine or a full glass of strict nine, uh, either one of them is going to kill you. And, and we're in a place here where Mike DeWine is in control of education, whether he appoints the director of a, of a, of an education workforce board like this, or he continues to appoint the eight members of the current Ohio Board of Education. He continues to appoint, you know, people dedicated to wokeism and indoctrination rather than education that used to be just premium here in the state of Ohio. You know, we're, we're in a bad place either way, full glass or half glass. I think is a, is a and, good and way to say you've it. You've got it. You've absolutely got it. And, and one thing I can tell you that is a guiding principle that we've seen over the years, and this is working with Bob Taft, it's working with George Voinovich, it's working with Mike DeWine, mm-hmm. uh, but the whole way back to people like Bob McEwen, as well as being on the inside and sometimes behind the scenes with people like Ted Strickland and others. We've worked this thing for a lifetime. And I'm telling you, anytime politicians are trying to consolidate power into the executive branch or administrative branch of government anytime it's being consolidated that they're pushing the accordion in tighter watch out that's always very bad direction yeah that is very very true that's what's so dangerous about this particular uh bill this is it does it consolidates power within mike dewine's purview essentially and it takes the the people to the extent that they can be a part of it by way of voting for board members uh completely out of the equation and that is uh that's a very dangerous thing i know you got a lot of calls you have time for one story uh actually i don't because i've got the news coming up now and i got peter curse and i after that and i think you know that we can't really keep peter curse and i waiting (laughs) dave zanotti thank thank you you. i have deep respect yeah i have deep deep respect for the work that you and your entire team do at the ohio roundtable thank you dave all right, that's Dave Zanotti. Just a quick call in there. I would love to hear Dave Zanotti's story. He's a great storyteller. But uh, we do have to get to the news, and Peter Kersenow's got his own stories to tell. Coming up after that on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, We're number two now, underway, nine minutes past ten o'clock. Good morning. It's Tuesday. It's the 13th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. And because it's a Tuesday, you know what else that means. It's a cursing out day! Can you dig it? Yeah. Love it. We love our brilliant good friend, uh, Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow is a Cleveland attorney. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is also a best-selling author, and his new book is out and released. Uh, he is a sometimes columnist, sometimes law professor. And we're going to talk about the law professor part of that, too, since uh, uh, the school at which you taught um, is now no longer the John Marshall School of Law. Uh, and, uh, and so much more. Peter Kersenow back with us on AM 1420 The Answer. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Beautiful day in Cleveland. It's sunny. The only problem is the Cleveland Browns are still the Cleveland Browns. I was just talking to your outstanding (laughs) call screener, Marianne, about this. And I've been a Cleveland Browns fan for well over 60 years. I remember the the 1964 
championship. Uh, I remember listening to it on the radio. I was a little kid, tiny little kid at the time, and it was a glorious day in Cleveland, and since that time, it's been debacle after debacle, and we had a nice little stretch there, a couple of them, one under Schottenheimer, and a couple of years under uh, Belichick, but other than that, you know, we had to suffer the indignity of the franchise moving, the loyal fans still stuck by it, the first time in history, you know, we kept colors when a, when a franchise moved, and they forced the NFL to bring a team back, I mean, you know, and here we are, we spent $250 million. We didn't. Uh, the owner spends $250 million to get a, a quarterback, and we still stink. <laughs> By the way, I love your revisionist history there. You're becoming a leftist on us, trying to tell us that you weren't in your third year of law school when they won that championship in 64. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, um, it, is, uh, it, is, it is kind of sad. Um, and, and unless you are just a true... American masochist, um, you let go, and I've I've let go. I really have, Peter. I I have looked at the. I mean, first of all, you know how I feel about these things anymore. You know, woke professional sports is just so disgusting and so repulsive anyway. But even when I'm tempted to try to look in a little bit and see what's going on, I see these things and I don't bat an eye anymore. I don't bat an eye. They're going to lose more games this year than last year, and they're supposed to have been, you know, a Super Bowl contender in both years. Um, and I, I just, I don't bat an eye. I just look at it and I say, this is reality. This is the worst franchise in team sports in North America. And I don't know a ton about the NHL, and I stopped watching that too, to the extent that I even paid attention to it because of their wokeism. But and there may be a couple of franchises in the NHL that are really, really, really bad. But I don't know if any franchise in the four major sports in North America, Peter, are as poorly run and have had such poor results as this team has since 1999 when they came back. So we're talking what, 20, 24 years. No, they, they've had they've had more success than the Browns have. They have had yeah. more success, and they have been better, uh, better run, and they've been awfully run. They're awful. You're right. I mean, they're a close two, but nothing. And, and and I don't want to go too far into this, Peter, but when the Browns were as bad as they were starting in '99, but then especially in that first you know portion of the decade in 2006 and seven and eight and then nine and ten, they had the most unbelievable opportunity to build a championship contender because nobody had that many number one picks. Nobody had that many top five picks for that many years in a row. And they missed on every single blessed one of them. Every single one of them for years and years and years gone by. And then they've made horrific coaching decisions. They've made horrific trade decisions. They've made horrific signings of free agents to, to, to dollar amounts that made no sense to anybody. So when I say they're the worst run franchise and the worst producing franchise, there is no second. Uh, if you have to say one, I guess, okay, I'll give you Detroit. But there's nobody that's close to them in the 24 years since they've been back. Yeah, I remember the movie Major League, uh, and it was about the Cleveland Indians, of course, um, where the owner tried to lose, did all kinds of moves to try to lose. Now, you'd be, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a possibility. <laughs> you know, you'd have to look at this franchise and say, well, maybe they want to lose outraged. so much that we, another... we, we want them to leave. Uh, I'm sorry, Pete, continue. That was a, that was a glitch. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it, it almost is. It's almost a parody of not a parody. It's by parity. I mean, P A R I T Y, not P A R O D Y. <laughs> it's both of the of the movie major right of the movie major league. Uh, you'd have to say, you know, are they trying to lose? Uh, yeah, I, I have. I have not yet completely abandoned the Browns at all. I mean, I will 
force myself to tune in just to see what the score is. And if they're winning, you know, I confess it sucks me in. But when they're losing, uh, and, and uh, to be fair, against Cincinnati, there were a number of things there that, uh, you know, I had problems with. I rarely ever get on refs because it always goes both ways. But there were some ridiculous penalties there. But I know, look, your, your listeners don't want to listen to my gripes about the Cleveland Browns. They could be <laughs> legion. They could go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. But uh, here we are. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. I know sometimes you just got to vent, Pete, and I'm your sounding board. If you need somebody to vent to, I'm here for you. <laughs> All right, and you're of course everybody knows you're just bitter because you never got cursing off for one play. So that's all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the difference. That was the difference. If I'd been in there for one play, defensive coordinators would have to scheme all week long to defend against curse now, thereby deflecting from everybody else. See, I mean, I, I, there's a, a method to my madness here. Yeah, there always is. There always is. Hey, hey, Pete, as long as we're doing just cursing out type stuff, before we get into the actual news, I want to get into um, the release uh, is here, right? Uh, December 7th, oh, yeah, I think. Right, Wasn't yeah. it Pearl Harbor Day that uh, the Devil's Weapons it, came out? It was, and uh, I'll tell you, it was, uh, based on what I've heard, it uh, took off really spectacularly, and I've done media with respect to it, and we're having a lot of fun with it. So I'm already uh, halfway through the sequel to it, which will come out. I can't remember when the sequel comes out. Sometime in the summer. And I've got another book, release date not yet set. Got to talk to my agent about when he, he's got a particular scheme of going about things, and he's the best agent in the world. Um, and uh, so that one is going to be coming out sometime in the next uh, six, seven months. So we've is got a lot a, of personnel books. Is that an entirely new venture, or are we going back to Mike Guerin? Uh, it is not a Mike Guerin. It's a kind of a, a spinoff of Mike Guerin. Mike Guerin may appear from time to time. You're, you're right about that. Okay. But it's called The Black Russian, which has a protagonist, so-called protagonist, who's actually one of the most evil people in the world. He's a, a Russian special operator. He is the special henchman for Vladimir Putin, but he defects to the United States. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just... You say Black Russian, I think 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy. That was one of the the funniest movies in the history of of cinema. And when he goes into the Hill Jack Cowboy Bar, uh, the only black guy in the building, he walks up and says, can I have some vodka? And the redneck racist bartender looks at him and says, maybe you must have a Black Russian. (laughs) He goes into the Eddie Murphy laugh. You say Black Russian. (laughs) That was was great. Now, you'll change that when you get to the book, but anyway. (laughs) Right. No laughing in this book. A lot of death. Peter Kristinoff, I say to you, define newspeak to me. You say what? Newspeak? Yes. Well, uh, anything coming from the Biden administration. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's origins. It's or- and where I'm going with this, of course, oh, is to okay. Orwell. Yeah, we're talking about uh, George Orwell. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, w- it was the language. And actually, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, uh, newspeak is everything. If you look at the movie, uh, the movie, the the book, 1984, and actually. Um, George Orwell probably uh, was spiriting some of Aldous Huxley on this. Um, but uh, look, I'll give it to Orwell. I mean, he does, he's a genius. He doesn't need to look at other geniuses for inspiration. But uh, when we're talking about Newspeak, we're, thinking, we're talking about a manner in which to craft a narrative and shape psychological uh, opinion on the part of the populace to drive them in a certain direction. Right. Um, and and the fact that it was called Newspeak, of course, it means that they can change the language on command, or rather, they make the command to change the language. Uh, you know, Big Brother and uh, you know the 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 totalitarians in charge of that uh, dystopia could change the language whenever they want, uh, just like they could change the history whenever they want. Um, 
And changing language is a very, very big part of dystopian societies and, and sadly the, uh, uh, the de-evolution of a, of a great society into a dystopian one. And I bring that up because it's starting. Um, Cambridge Dictionary has changed the definition of man and woman. They have done so very quietly. Uh, and some are arguing now that the Cambridge Dictionary has ceded linguistic territory to the radical left, changing the words man and woman to include people who identify as a gender other than their biological sex. Um, the definition used to be, of course, you know, an adult male or an adult female with uh, XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes and with the capacity to give birth and, and so forth. Um, they have changed the definition now, which, of course, is what the left has been working toward very, very hard. And many are calling this the beginning of Newspeak. This is when the government uh, can push and force through coercion and through threats of, of, of cancellation um, new language that benefits an agenda that they are trying to advance. And so a lot of people are saying this is 1984 viewed as a how-to manual rather than a warning of what uh, dystopian futures could look like. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Number one is I commend to everybody the article by Victor Davis Hanson yesterday. Uh, it's pretty long, but it is one of his magnum opuses. It's a you know unified field theory of everything that's going wrong today, and uh, it touches upon this a little bit also. And what we got to remember about this is that as you know, Orwell and others have said, when you control language, you control thought. And it's vice versa. When you control thought, you also control language. It's a lot easier to control language, of course, because you've got something that's concrete, finite, versus trying to get to someone's thoughts first. So you control the language, and then you shape thought. And we're seeing that right now. We're seeing a manner, all manner of absurdities that are being foisted upon the public by, it used to be, um, that it was cultural. It still is very much cultural, but now we've got the government involved, just as we had in 1984, just as you had in East Germany, Soviet Union, Eastern Bloc countries, China, so on and so forth. And uh, this is very troubling when we see the extent to which our own government has been trying to manipulate us through mass media, Twitter, etc. It is something that I think most of us um, they couldn't really contemplate. We wanted to give our government the benefit of the doubt, but the things that uh, I've seen very often in the last couple of days, and you probably have also, people formerly of the left saying that this is why they were originally on the left, that they were concerned about the manipulation of thought and the coercion of public opinion by the government or large entities. But now that's all shifted in the last 35, 40 years to be the exclusive domain of the left. And it's it's um, it's really it's destroying America. It's destroying society, and it is I think one of the, the major reasons why we have such tension right now in in this country. Significant amount of tension between people when we shouldn't have it at all. But uh, we need to guard against this because this is a descent into socialism. And when I say descent into socialism. I'm not talking about some kind of soft socialism that you may have found in Britain in the 1950s and 60s. I'm talking about socialism that is truly totalitarian. It's communist. Uh, it's all controlling. It's all consuming. And it's cultural socialism, also a, co a cultural hegemony being foisted on the United States where you have to speak a certain way. Uh, I think of yesterday, I was just casually listening to, I was driving and I was listening to Fox News and they had on 
this individual who was really vile talking about uh, this is I think it was in Massachusetts uh, talking about Christmas and um, you know all manner of other traditions in the most despicable and, and uh, uh, it, it was incredible what's going on here I think we're being pitted against one another for no good reason but also the traditions that made this country great are under constant assault from the left. So any type of new speak like this has to be vigilantly monitored. Make sure that our kids who are being subjected to this on a regular basis are shielded from this. Otherwise, they're going to grow up to be nice little automatons, just as the Chinese tried to do you know, in the last 30, 40 years with uh, their kids. Yeah, that's very well said, Peter. I mean, if they're changing the dictionaries, they're going to be changing the encyclopedias, which is changing history, when they're going to be changing textbooks and so on and so forth to the point where people will never know a time in which words actually mattered and which history and truth and facts actually were documented and kept for preservation uh, for future use. It is going to be changed as they go along. This is literally that how-to manual that 1984 was not supposed to be. 1023, we'll take a time out here. we got a lot more with Kirsten Alcott. Coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1027 now. We continue with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, I want to, uh, we only have about three minutes in this segment, so just a little bit of a quickie here. Um, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. We're going to talk more about Twitter on the other side of the news, but just briefly on this one. Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and done exactly what he promised he would do. He has restored the um, tweeting rights, the account status, if you will, to countless numbers of individuals who are conservative, who have their accounts revoked, banned, suspended, or shadow banned to the point where they quit, which is what I did. Um, uh, over the course of the last three years, he has restored the accounts, and he has made it essentially a safe place to speak freely again without fear of getting canceled. And at the same time, he is revealing now five different drops of what they're calling Twitter files, of behind-the-scenes stuff, documented receipts are presented and so forth among the Twitter uh, establishment at that time. And among the uh, things that he has done is triggering the left with his own tweets, including one that said, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci, <laughs> which is simply outstanding. Love that. The left says this puts Dr. Fauci in danger. And overall, they are saying that anything that is critical of anyone on the left or anyone that the left supports puts them in danger. It's an incitement to violence. What better way to take away the free speech rights from an entire segment of the population, the conservative side of the country, to say you can't criticize us or else you're inciting people to violence against us? Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, this is intentional. It's part of their effort to make sure that certain forms of speech are off limits by equating it with violence. Very little speech is considered to be off-limits in terms of the law. Under Brandenburg versus Ohio, for example, you've got to have something that's going to have an imminent threat of danger of physical violence, okay? I mean, imminent. Something that uh, if you're exhorting somebody in the midst of a crowd to go and burn down the building right next door to it or beat up the guy in the middle of the crowd, that's one thing that's prohibited speech. But almost everything else is fair game, okay? But they want to equate almost anything with which they disagree as violence, as something that would be within the orbit of a Brandenburg versus Ohio. They don't explicitly say that, of course, and that's not part of of the discourse, but that's what their aim is. Certain things are off-limits, and of course, everything that's off-limits has to do with 
conservatism or conservative values. Anything liberals want to say and let anything liberals do that are actual violence, like burn down cities all over the country during the George Floyd riots, perfectly okay. And even the administration said, okay, that's all right. No, no, no problems there. Uh, this administration did. <clears throat> so we have to resist mightily any effort to equate speech with violence. That's you know, their, their effort to try to make sure they suppress the speech of conservatives, which makes sense. And we see so many things that are absolutely absurd that they say, and it envelops the entire sphere of, of the, you know, of not just Twitter, but things that you see online. And they, they shadow banned, as you know. I didn't, you know, I'm not on Twitter never been on Twitter. I don't have the time for Twitter. I'm unsure about the utility of it. I get that certain industries almost depend on Twitter. And I think that for me, at least, I've never seen anything good come from Twitter. I think that it's not cured any diseases, ended any war, solved any political conflicts, increased anybody's knowledge. What it has done is pollute the, the discourse. And I look at what journalists are doing. They're suppressing speech. Journalists are suppressing speech in conjunction with the government. And at that point, you've got serious free speech issues. Twitter by itself as a public, um, I mean, as a, a private entity can do whatever right. it wants to do. It may start to become a public utility in certain circumstances. It, it serves it, as one. It serves, a, it serves as a news outlet now. It's the press. It's the right, press. Right, but it's, it's protected, ostensibly protected under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. But that right. protection is finite. And I hear a lot of, I'm not a First Amendment scholar, but you know what? You don't have to be. All you got to do is read a little bit about the First Amendment. That's right. Have a little bit of, you know, look, when I was in the National Labor Relations Board, Let's we had to deal with the First Amendment on a regular basis. But this is an attempt to suppress speech. Let's pick that up at that point, Peter, on the other side of the news as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Okay, ten thirty-seven. Now we do continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Our good friend Peter Kersenow is with us, United States Commissioner on Civil Rights. Peter, right about the time you were in your third year of law school in the early nineteen sixties, uh, Fred Rogers <laughs> was doing Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, and. Um, in the 60s and in the 70s, he was saying things that I don't think anybody could ever have imagined would be need, would need to be said in 2022. But Mr. Rogers was prescient, and he saw this coming. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Before we go back to the Twitter story and free speech, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You, me, some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Fred saw it coming, Pete. And Fred wanted everybody to know we bring science to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, didn't he? 
I have to say, I hadn't really focused on that before, and I'm a, a little bit surprised. I, I never thought, I mean, heck, I'd, I'd never give, give much thought to Mr. Rogers either way, or not, even when my kids were younger. But, um, you know, he was speaking eternal verities, things that were not controversial, you know, even 10 years ago. And now they are controversial. They can get you banned. They can get you censured in some way. And it's part of the effort, a really radical part of the effort to change the language in order to change our thoughts. And I think it's destructive of civilization. Again, I commend Victor Davis Hanson. The title of the piece is Our Parasitic Generation. It's actually not very descriptive of the substance of what he talks about, but it's it nails precisely what you're getting at here, Bob. Um, we are getting into an area where, um, you know, up is down, black is white, and uh, men are women. And they try to shame us to say such things by saying that we're visiting violence against people if we say something that is a evident truth. They try to shame us into saying that somehow we're bigoted and we're hateful and we're racist for, for pointing out what, what is true. And we can't permit that to happen. Sometimes it's difficult to do that because you're getting hit from all sides, from an administration, from the zeitgeist, from, from our, you know, the cultural avatars. Uh, but you have to stand firm on these things. I was just involved with, um, uh, you know, uh, some, uh, teachers of a school where this kind of thing is being foisted upon little kids. And the teachers are afraid of saying something, of course, because their jobs are in jeopardy, but they want somebody to act on their behalf to say, wait a minute, these things are not true, and we shouldn't be imparting this to you know little kids like this. It's going to have long-term ramifications, but I think it's had much shorter-term ramifications than any of us expected. And witness that we're at each other's throats in a way that I don't think we have been in my lifetime. Uh, and I know that it is chilled speech across the board. Even those who consider themselves progressive have told me uh, in private conversations that they're afraid to say certain things um, in groups more than three or four because they think that they, they may be canceled or ostracized in some fashion. That's not the United States of America. We shouldn't be afraid of saying things in front of our fellow citizens. That's the province of the old East Germany. Now everyone's become a miniature Stasi agent uh, reporting, you know, transgressions of the cultural zeitgeist to the media or to the government. 100%. And, yeah, it's not America. It's not yep. America. And, you know, like, it's easier for me to say maybe I've got some recourse in, in this, although I've been a target from time to time on, on these types of matters. But we've got to exercise our rights as Americans and resist these things mightily. A hundred percent. That's exactly what they're doing is they're turning little kids into rats, uh, telling them to rat on one another, rat on their teachers, rat on their parents, rat on anybody who says something that might offend somebody else, particularly as it pertains to this radical uh, LGBTQ movement. Um, before I move on, Peter, what was the name of the article again from Hanson? Because i got to find that one. Yeah, it was our parasitic generation. And it really doesn't have to do with it. It implies that somehow, you know, a younger People are somehow more parasitic. It, it really has to do with the cultural implosion that we're currently witnessing and the 
short and long term. It's going to happen immediately. And I think D- Victor Davis Hanson, you know how he makes lists of things based on history. Uh, he makes a very persuasive case that we may be at, remember I've said we're at the point of, you know, we're, we're really at an inflection point, you know, we're at a tipping point. Yeah. Um, when you finish reading that, you are a little bit concerned that we may be beyond the tipping point, And it's going to take a, at best a Herculean effort to try to pull us back from the precipice. Um, very dispiriting, but very accurate. And we better do something about it now. We have to resist. We're the United States of America. We have the tools to do that. But we are permitting little uh, Stasi agents to drive us into totalitarianism. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought it up, and I'm going to read that. It's been a long time since I've had Victor Davis Hanson on the show, and I have to get him on to talk about that, because that's very, very compelling what you're talking about. Now, equally as compelling as what we, you and I were talking about before the break, which is uh, about the First Amendment, about what is being done to shut down and shout down those who would criticize things that they find disagreeable. Uh, this is uh, KJPDH, that's Green Jean-Pierre Diversity Hire, and she's standing at the podium <laughs> yesterday, and she is uh, declaring that if you criticize people like Dr. Fauci, this is what you and I talked about a moment ago. You are inciting violence upon them. Listen. So look, we've been very clear about this. Uh, these attacks, these personal attacks uh, that we have been seeing are dangerous uh, uh, on Dr. Fauci and other public health professionals as well. Uh, are, they are disgusting and they are divorced from, uh, from reality. And uh, we will continue to call that out and be very clear uh, about that. Again, these are incredibly dangerous, these personal attacks that we are seeing. Incredibly dangerous. The left one on Twitter yesterday also uh, very, very uh, passionately to defend um, the the previous moderator or head of, of uh, what was it called, trust and verification or something like that? was. Uh, uh, let me make sure I have the... Trust and safety. Trust and safety. That's him, yeah. Um, Yoel... Um, Look for his last name, too. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. You're, you're ready for my question, and I haven't even asked you yet. Yoel Roth is the former head of Trust and Safety. Now, when, when Elon came into Twitter, he fired about half the, the workforce. Uh, he kept on some people that he thought would still be valuable. He kept on Yoel Roth, which was just an eye-opener to a lot of people who said, what are you doing? If you leave this guy there, you might as well go ahead and give it back to Jack Dorsey. Give the whole thing back uh, and, and write it off as a lost investment because you cannot have people like this there. Fortunately... He saw the light in short order, did Elon Musk, and uh, he talked about how one of the very first things we're going to be doing is cracking down on the pervasiveness of child pornography or child por- child pornographic materials that are disseminated through Twitter. That somehow, over the course of his time there, got by the head of trust and safety. Um, shortly after he announced that that's his number one goal, Elon Musk, Yoel Roth, resigned. Well, since that time, in the Twitter file drops, Peter, they're dropping all kinds of evidence and numbers, in ter- sheer numbers in terms of tweets Great. and accounts that, that trafficked in this child pornographic or pedophilic uh, type of um, uh, behavior. And now that Roth is gone and people are calling him out for allowing this to happen on his watch, we're getting messages like this. Twitter's former head of trust and safety has reportedly had to flee his home due to an escalation of threats resulting from Elon Musk's campaign of criticism against him. So I, I, I want to bring that along with KJPDH's statement there about this is dangerous. Are we ever allowed to criticize that which is, you know, is worthy of criticism for fear that somebody might make threats to a guy, by the way, 
who should be feeling a little bit uneasy, just as the kids were feeling uneasy in the child pornographic scenes that he just let fly through Twitter. Go ahead. They censured conservatives, those who don't even view themselves as conservative, but may have even said things that are not on the approved list of statements from the progressives. They, you know, canceled them and left on, I think, but what I read, again, I was not on Twitter, but what I read is something like 20 million instances of child pornography or something that could qualify as child, child pornography. And uh, just as an aside, you know how I've always said, if you want to know what the left has planned for the United States five to ten years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today, because that's where they try out all their schemes. When people were asking me about that 15 years ago, I, they, they asked, okay, what's the next thing on the left's agenda? And I was hesitant to say it, but based on the evidence that I saw, based on you could tell the trajectory, uh, I said pedophilia. And people would roll their eyes and say, oh, come on, that's, that's a, a, you know, a bridge too far. They're never going to do that. And here we are. We're seeing so many references or so many, uh, so many things that you would, if you are sane and if you are you know, not uh, woke, would say it's just outright pedophilia. We're not allowed to say those things now. We're, again, going back to what we discussed before, certain things you're not allowed to say so they can continue to do what they're doing with impunity. But um, when it comes to Twitter, we have the, the left appears to have been, based on all evidence, based on these trotches of information that Elon Musk has released, they have shaped mightily the political discourse, not just political discourse in terms of who gets elected and who doesn't get elected, but in terms of what certain policy prescriptions are, are what the, the appropriate uh, bounds of speech are, what's considered to be approved or not approved, and what now is, you know, considered to be culturally accepted. Uh, the, uh, and look, I don't want anybody to be in fear of their lives or anything like that. That's wrong. Uh, but by the same notion, by the same token, when you've got a huge enterprise, something that is so influential like Twitter, which is getting an exemption from certain types of accountabilities because of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, and also appears to have been manipulated, manipulated willingly by entities of the government, well, you know what? Certain standards are going to be uh, applied then, and you're going to be held to account for the kind of damage that you've wrought. And what we can see, and I'm going all over the map here, but you know, not, not just in terms of the cultural carnage that's occurred because of Twitter and its leftist inclinations, but also the political implications, because it's clear that Twitter suppressed huge amounts of speech that you, you can't quantify the extent to which it may have influenced um, votes and election results, but without question, it had an effect. They suppressed, <laughs> they suppressed the speech of a sitting president of the United States. And we know of a number of examples of conservative commentators who were shadow banned or had their visibility reduced as a result of overt actions, intentional actions on behalf, on, on the part of Twitter. You know, query what uh, the purchase documents look like for Elon Musk, because all of this didn't occur on his watch. Yet now that it's been revealed, people are going to be wondering, you know, hey, wait a minute, do I have a cause of action here? And I'm sure Twitter's going to get sued, or maybe individuals uh, are going to get sued because the uh, corporate shield has been breached somehow, or appears somehow, but who knows? Uh, very interesting dynamic here uh, for a company that I think, uh, you know, because it has the protections of 230, um, hasn't seriously been addressed, and because they've 
know, masked all of this so very well for such a long period of time, and the right people are on their side. By that, I mean the left. You know, they've escaped any kind of serious scrutiny, but at this point, um, there's some serious implications along these lines, and because the federal government was involved, First Amendment protections may not be available to them to the extent they would be if it was solely a private enterprise. Uh, that's uh, those are great points, uh, obviously. And um, you know, as long as we're on the subject of who should be feeling afraid, uh, first of all, I don't care if he feels afraid. I don't care if he feels threatened. His decision making to allow that much pornography and accounts to stay up and not be uh, taken down, as he is the head of trust and safety, his decision making made kids feel unsafe. And, um, you know, that, that to me says if he has another restless day or a restful day in his life, I'll be upset. I hope he is constantly afraid. But what really concerns me, Peter, is the guy that's exposing this, the guy who's committed to transparency, Elon Musk. He's the one I'm afraid for. I don't know how big his uh, security force is, but I suggest he triple it because uh, I don't want to find I don't want to have him Clintoned one of these days. I don't want to have him suicided because he is literally public enemy number one of the left from the Biden administration all the way through the Atlantic and all the way through the uh, you know left wing mainstream media, certainly the left wing uh, you know uh, dark groups. Uh, th- this is a very dangerous thing for Elon Musk to do. He is literally poking a finger in the eye of the entire radical left by releasing these Twitter files of all of the stuff they did under the cloak of darkness uh, before he bought the place. He is shining a light on it now, and the rats are scurrying, and I'm really worried about who's going to come for Elon Musk. Yeah, my understanding is that he has got pretty good security, as the richest man the world might might have and can afford, and he announced that he's no longer stopping at certain places to give autographs and things of that nature because he has been uh, uh, under threat. I think he'll probably be okay. Um, uh, you know, when you do something like this, I mean, again, I, without coming up with any conspiracy theories, keep in mind with whom those folks were meeting over at Twitter. They were meeting with the FBI and the CIA and the Department of Homeland Security. It is re- it's the stuff of novels. They were meeting with the Brennans of the world, those despicable individuals who were su- not just suppressed, they were suppressing speech and manipulating elections, but these are the folks that launched the entire Russiagate probe, that entire yeah. fraud. Also keep in mind that the media is, not very curiously, silent about this. We know what side they're on, but they've chosen sides. And just like they promoted a, an utter hoax for years in the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, they are ignoring the true facts, which implicate them, because they were not just derelict in duty, they were complicit in perpetrating a fraud here. So they've affected now two elections, this, this uh, unholy alliance between big media, whether it be mainstream media or the social media, Facebook and Twitter, and the deep state. This, much of this occurred, remember, some of it occurred under the Obama administration, no doubt about that, but much of this occurred under the Trump administration. The Trump administration was being subverted, regardless of what anyone thinks about Trump. He was the President of the United States. Think, if you don't like Trump, do the mental exercise of selecting someone that you would like to be president, and then understand that the deep state at the highest levels was doing everything they could to undermine the presidency. In other words, to undermine the elected representative, the duly elected representative of the people of the United States. And they were doing it in association with this big media company, Twitter, and probably, who knows, maybe they're doing it with, with Facebook. And the media, 
The supposed watchdogs were completely complicit in this. The watchdogs didn't bark. In fact, they showed everyone where the, the, the thieves where the China was. This is incredible. No one trusts the media anymore. I wish many of those organs would completely go out of business. I know a number of people have lost their jobs. I, I hate it when people lose their jobs. But if you've been complicit in doing the opposite of what you're charged with doing, that is, shining the light of truth, on matters such as this, and you're doing everything you can to cover it up and even to forward the corrupt enterprise, then, you know, if you happen to lose your job, you are responsible for that. You're the one who did it because we're relying on you, as has been said over and over and over and over again. The democracy we have is contingent on the free flow of information, the ability to speak freely. It's a First Amendment imperative, and yet they corrupted it at every level. Peter Kersenow, laying out, laying it out as only he can. Pete, always a pleasure, my friend. God bless. Thanks, and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Bob. Merry Christmas. 1056. We're coming back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France. On AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. If you just turned us on for the last hour, appreciate it. If you turned us on two hours ago and you're here for the duration, appreciate that too, whenever you can listen. If you like what you hear, share it, would you? Tell other people about our program. Tell other people where to find it. Tell them if you... Uh, maybe they're out of range. You can catch it on uh, whkradio.com on the stream. You can get it on the free mobile app. Just look for 1420 The Answer on the App Store or the Play Store. And uh, make sure you know that people can find us anywhere here on AM 1420 The Answer. Great stuff by Peter Kersenow. Uh Good conversation there. Uh, I want to talk uh, with you now a little bit more about the bill that uh, is dominating the uh, discussion in uh, Columbus right now and really all over the state, and that is uh, a change to the way the education of this state is run. Um, and that change in, includes getting rid of the powers, or rather transferring the powers of the Ohio Board of Education and its uh, hired superintendent in terms of um, 
essentially setting the policies for districts around the state when it comes to things like curricula, uh, platforms, policies, and so forth. Um, right now, the board has the power, and uh, a, a movement by a lot of Republican senators, which already passed the Republican-controlled Senate, to take those powers away from the Ohio Board of Education and give it to the governor to appoint to one director of a Department of Education and Workforce uh, Commission, essentially. Uh, that's a big problem for a lot of people. It's consolidating power in one place. It's taking the people out of it. But the reaction, and I asked uh, Andy Brenner about this last night on our podcast, Talking Smack, with Bob and Jack, you know, the one I co-host with Jack Windsor. I asked uh, Senator Brenner, uh, you know, how he can support consolidating power like that, and his response was, what if we don't? He said, if this doesn't pass, what do we have? We have a left-wing 11-member elected board in the Board of Education and a left-wing-leaning uh, eight-member appointed uh, portion of the board. The 19 members are overwhelmingly left-wing. They're going to put all of this wokeism into the schools. Uh, we, it, at least we have a shot if we you know, make this switch and kind of take some of the power away from that left-wing board and uh, use the advice and consent portion of the uh, Ohio Constitution in the, United St- or in the uh, Ohio Senate to uh, choose the right board member or to uh, confirm the right board member appointed by the governor. So he said, what if we don't do it? All we're going to have is more of the same. And he might have a point. That's why I've been, like I said, on the fence about this. I welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We're going to the phones. Uh, Scott Fischel is with us. He is, according to my call screen, with the Riverside Board of Education. He's got something to say about Ohio Senate Bill 178. Scott, good morning. How are you, sir? I am well. How are you, Bob? I'm great, thank you. What's uh, what's your take on uh, this bill that's being kicked around and maybe voted on today? My take is that for 60 years we've been getting killed, and we need to get in the game. And if we don't change something, we're not in the game. So we have to hit singles. We can go for home runs, but we need to get men on base first so we can win the game and this, I believe, is a single. Now, if Mike DeWine doesn't want to do the right thing, the governorship will change at some point. And if this is in place, we have the opportunity to win. You know, we talked about that. Um, let's take Mike DeWine out of the equation. Um, I talked about it with Brenner yesterday and last night, too, with Jack and, and, and Senator Brenner. Um, but if you look at the example that Jack gave, I played a clip earlier, I don't know if you heard it, um, of the Board of Trustees at Cleveland State that decided to rip the name of John Marshall off of the School of Law. All I heard eight, it. Yeah, eight, eight board, uh, board members uh, uh, or trustees on that board, all appointed by Republican governors. Or, yeah, Republican governors, six by DeWine, two by, uh, by John Kasich. So I'm thinking, okay, if we elect Republican governors, can we count on getting solid appointments? Because it doesn't seem like it. You know, that's an example of that. So what if the next Republican governor is just as rhino-y, if not outright left, which I think I think Mike DeWine is proving to be more progressive than anything else, quite frankly, after after COVID. But what if the next Republican governor is just like him? Or worse, Scott, what if it's a Democrat? What if Tim Ryan, who gave J.D. Vance a hell of a run for that Senate seat, what if he runs for governor in four years and he's the guy hiring the next or appointing the next uh, director of this uh, of this commission? I'm hearing you, and I will give this analogy. I've played a lot of sports in my life, and if you're not in the game to make the change, you can't win. And so if you say, what if it's always bad? What if this happens? What if, well, what if, what if, what if? We're never going to win. 
because the left has control. We need to take control, and we take that piece by piece. We don't take it all at once. It took 60 years, at least in my, my perception, 60 years to get where we're at. I think in the 50s it wasn't horrible. I think in the 60s we started to lose it, and the left started to take over. We're not going to change 60 years in one or two years. It's going to take some time, and we have to get on base. We have to be in the game. If we hit a home run, and it's, it's one run, a home run is one run, but if we get two people on base and we hit a home run, that's how you win games. Now, that's a sports analogy. Now, I'm I love, on the I love sports analogies. School board. Yeah. No, yeah. I love I'm sports on the analogies. Riverside School Board, and I, what I can share with you is that right now I'm in the minority, all right? But in bringing some truth to the table – We are gaining some momentum because you need to do it piece by piece. You don't do it all at once. We're gaining momentum. We're having some victories. I won't go through them all on the air, okay? But we're winning, and we're not winning everything, okay? We're going to need to get the third vote out of five board members to win everything. But we are winning even though we're in the minority. And I will tell you, it's hard work. And you get attacked. Sure. I've been a, a, attacked vociferously in open meetings, okay? You're going to get attacked. They're going to try and tear you down. But we are winning, but it's piece by piece, Bob. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not arguing with you because, as I said, I'm kind of of two minds on this. I see all of the great points you made. I see all of the great points that Andy Brenner made yesterday, and I've heard great points from people who oppose 178 emphatically, and I'm talking about good conservatives who have backgrounds in education, too. So my follow-up to you is going to be more devil's advocacy than, uh, than my taking an opposite view of yours. My devil's advo- advocacy question for you would be this. Did you like the way... Amy Acton ran the state of Ohio during the COVID response for on behalf of Governor DeWine? Well, the obvious answer is no. Okay. The, the reason for the question is obvious. Now, what if the appointee to this board, uh, or not this board, what are we calling this, the, uh, the Department of Educational Workforce, is the educational equivalent of Amy Acton on the health side? She got the top job appointed by Mike DeWine to decide Ohio's response because of, I don't even know why, she's an abortion doctor, she's not an epidemiologist, she had no qualifications, to my knowledge, to be in charge of those decisions. But what if that there is the educational equivalent of Amy Acton that he points? Uh, points. Are we, quote, to borrow your sports analogy, on base and in the game? We're not on base yet. What we do then is we need to point out the bad actions, the bad decisions, the harmful elements that are harming kids in schools, and we have to look for a future opportunity to get that person replaced. Again, it doesn't happen in one day, one year, or two years. Okay, and my my second devil's advocacy position would be, again, following your example of we, we're not going to do it immediately. We have to do it little by little. We're getting some small victories. You know, you're talking about Riverside, and you're talking about being in the minority, but we're winning some battles. We're winning some battles. Could one not make the argument that we keep the Board of Education, we eliminate, and, and there was talk of this, you know, on the legislative front, eliminate the appointed positions and make them all elected, even though the teachers' unions have a strong sway in most communities in getting the board members they like. We did see last year uh, and the year before when we had uh, a lot of board uh, seats that were opened up across the state, you know, there every other year, we saw a lot of 
concerned parents who were never active before running and winning. Aren't we getting those people on base little by little and winning in that, in that front? And can't we maybe win a race or two at the Ohio board level and change things ourselves rather than hoping for a better appointment from a future governor? Again, that would be one step. It would be a great opportunity if we could accomplish it. And if that could be done, it's a step forward and a step for the betterment, I believe. Can it be done? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either, my friend, and and that's why there's no easy answer here. And I appreciate you speaking out. And you're you're, you're you sound like Andy Brenner, who said, you know, there are real questions on both sides. There, are, there's nothing perfect about this bill, but you believe it's better than doing nothing and sticking with the status quo. Well, absolutely, we have an opportunity. And the what if what if someone makes a bad choice or a bad decision, and we don't get get our opportunity satisfied immediately yes that can happen but it will be in place so we can have the opportunity in the future and again it will be hard work we have to do this piece by piece whining isn't going to get it done complaining isn't going to get it done but doing the hard work does get it done yeah, well, uh, you know, it's definitely hard work, and I'm glad you're a part of it, and I'm glad you called to speak on it and, and convince people, uh, because like I said, there's going to have to be decisions made in Columbus, and these representatives who are making that decision are going to have to hear from the people, even if they vote today. Um, you know, we have to we have to make sure that we are heard um, so that uh, whatever hard work has to be done turns out to be for the best. And, Scott, I yes, appreciate Bob, what you're doing. Yes, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing, the people that are on boards of education need to contact their representatives and senators. That's also important. Good point. Good point. Yeah, absolutely right. Because they're the ones who are taking the you know the directives, uh, you know, from from the Ohio Board of Education and from you know the state superintendent. And so they're the ones who are going to have to take directives from a uh, prospective uh, director of this uh, DEW. So yeah, they're going to have to be heard on this too. So I completely concur. Scott Fischel from Riverside. Thank you, my friend. Keep up the good work. Have a great day. You too. Thanks very much. This is from last night uh, on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, our podcast that streams live Mondays and Thursdays. I mentioned to uh, somebody who came on after you today on the radio who, um, uh, who said that the uh, Obamacare bill was only about a thousand pages more than this bill was. And it's like, holy goodness, what is in this thing? So uh-huh. I, that's the reason I only asked about that. Now, the last question I want to ask, uh, it when Jack said he's bipolar on this, I kind of am, too. I think the phrase I use is I got splinters in my ass because I'm sitting on a fence on this. I uh, Part of me says we really need 178. Part of me says that if the Ohio Education Association and the Ohio School Boards Association and the Ohio uh, 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 Federation of Teachers are all opposed to this, I got to be for it. Then the other part of me says, well, a lot of what Jack and I have been talking about today, about Mike DeWine making the appointment of this very important position and us having no voice whatsoever, even by trying to win some elections for board members. So I'm on both sides of this thing here. So what I'm going to do now, uh, Senator Brenner, is put your feet to the fire here and Mm -hmm. say I'm going to trust you to do what you said today um, when you said it's the advice and the consent of the Senate that's going to be the the X factor here. You guys will have to confirm anybody that DeWine appoints to that, uh, to that position in in charge of the Ohio Department of uh, Education and Workforce. And, and that's true, I get that. You also have to provide confirmation, advice, and consent on these board members under the current system, right? Correct. Okay. So here's what I want to know. Do you believe, Senator Brenner, that you and Senate President Huffman and the overwhelming majority that you have there are going to approve the three members that are far left that Mike DeWine just put on the list of appointments and reappointments uh, but again, omitting Mike Toll, who asked for a reappointment. 
do you think you will approve them? Because if you do, it's going to make me question the value of the advice and consent that you're going to provide, that the Republican-controlled Senate is going to provide, when it's time to decide on confirming this, uh, this, this new cabinet-level position here. I want you guys to stand up and say, no, there's enough left-wing, woke activists on the Ohio Board of Education now by way of the elected portion. We sure as hell don't need to supplement it with more from Mike DeWine's appointed positions. And we're not going to allow those people through. Can you speak to that? I'm going to work to stop anybody who's a liberal on that group. Um, I can tell you that. I like. I actually sit beside Mike Toll on the board when we're sitting there. Um, I can't say what the rest of the Senate's going to do, but I, I'll, let's just say this. We're having conversations over that right now, and I think we're going to have conversations with the governor on this uh, going forward, especially these current appointments. I don't. I didn't hear the answer. I get there. that you. I, well, yeah. He, he, he said. He said he can't speak for the other senators. I um was not super satisfied with that answer from Senator Brenner last night, which a, com- a comment that I made after <clears throat> he departed the 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 podcast. But I'll repeat it now on live radio. Um, he didn't make me comfortable that the Senate is going to be diligent in their advice and consent to make sure that Mike DeWine doesn't appoint the educational version of Amy Acton to lead that department at the cabinet level. He said, I personally will vote against the liberals that are being appointed to the school board, but I can't speak for the other senators. If he And I know he can't. I get that. But if he said, I have talked to many of them, and we are uniting against this, we are not afraid to cross Mike DeWine when it comes to his appointments to the board. If I got that sense then I might be a little more comfortable with 178 knowing they're not afraid to say no to Mike DeWine. They're not afraid to say no. This appointment that you just made uh, is, is bad. This is the wrong person. This is the wrong mentality, the wrong ideology, the wrong whatever. No, pick another one. I don't have any sense that the Senate is going to do that. The Senate was scared to cross Mike DeWine when it came to uh, health, uh, health bills uh, during, uh, uh, you know, looking for medical freedom bills during COVID. They're afraid to cross Mike DeWine. If Mike DeWine says, no, I'll veto it, even though they have veto override power, they just say, okay. I, so I, I, I'm not comfortable with the answers that I'm getting, at least right now, on what the Senate will do or would do in the event of uh, a Mike DeWine appointment that is less than, uh, less than conservative and less than with the interest of the students at heart. Uh, 11.25, let me take a short one here. Time out. We'll come back with more calls after this. One, two, three, four. Okay, 1128, let's get a couple in here before the bottom, and then we'll take some more after the bottom of the hour news. John is in Chardon. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, sir. Yeah, regarding taking John Marshall's name off the law school, I don't think these people realize what they've done. After serving, I mean, you look at his background. After serving a short uh, stint as Secretary of State under John Adams, he was appointed Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, where he served for 34 years till his death in 1835. During his tenure, there came down certain bedrock decisions that guide our court to this day, like Marbury versus Madison. He was a protege and friend of George Washington and was chosen to give the eulogy at Washington's funeral in 1799, where he coined the phrase, Washington was first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts 
of, of our countrymen. And today we have a major university that bears his name, Marshall University, Huntington, West Virginia. The man was a giant and, and, is, and, is, and guided the history of the Supreme Court. So this is pathetic. I could not have said what you just said any better, John. You are 100% correct. I tried to kind of point out some of the impacts that he has made on this country and made on the Supreme Court, uh, the outsized impact that he made on it as the fourth uh, chief justice and easily the most influential of the era. And he set the table for virtually everything. Uh, and you're right. His name is on many, many things. And now the idea that his name is being stripped from college law schools all over the country, including Cleveland State, I hope that Marshall, uh, which you just pointed out, in West Virginia doesn't follow suit, but the law schools that are recognized as John Marshall College of Laws, colleges of law, uh, that are all doing this should be ashamed of themselves. Um, it's wokeism at its worst. It's cancellation at, at its worst. And the idea that John Marshall should be judged by one aspect of his life in a time when things were very, very different than they are now, rather than the legacy he leaves behind to the Supreme Court and to the uh, functioning of this country, it's... Um, it's, it's repugnant. So great call, John. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's 1130. We'll come right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. All right, 1136. You know, if you were listening to yesterday's show, I told you I kind of made it my mission to uh, put this in your head and to keep this in your head. I wanted it to be an earworm where it just kept digging inside of your brain and you would hear it all day long because you heard it so many times on this uh, program. Another way, you, you can often tell who has written something just by looking at the writing. You know, a letter might come in the mail and you can often tell on the envelope who sent that letter to you just because of the handwriting but it doesn't matter what kind of writing that you make you know everybody's fancy you me some are fancy on the outside some are fancy on the inside everybody's fancy everybody's fine your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's so we played this yesterday, and I swore to you that if I if I put a little bit of time into it, if I found the uh, uh, the desire and the time and the energy to, I could probably improve this by adding in a little bit Only of uh, Pastor Robinson. Hey, but two genders. So I thought I can probably do that, but I'm probably not going to do that because it'll be just weird, but it'll, it would be funny, but it would be just a little bit off. Well, we have somebody on staff who said, hold my freaking beer. Girls grow up to be the mommies. Boys grow up to be the daddies. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine, your body's fancy, and so is mine. Everybody put up your hands for my boy, Fred Rogers, straight out of the Troby, PA. Fred Rogers in the house. You know, everybody's fancy. You, me, born a boy, you stay a boy. Everybody's fancy. You, me, 
Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Now only boys can be men, only girls can be ladies Just like the leather trim in the back of my pants When you're cruising down the street and it happens again When you know she's a bobby but she thinks she's a can When you're out on the green, watch your ass on the cat Only girls can be mamas, only boys can be daddies Now you're in LA, in the streets, it's the daughters But when you're in the hood, it's my boy, Mr. Rogers Everybody's fancy You Me Everybody's fancy Everybody's fine Your body's fancy and so is mine Some are fancy on the outside Me Some are fancy Fancy on the inside. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. That's a mock Robinson speak from the heart. Hey, but true gender, true gender, ain't nothing but men and women. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. You. Yeah, Fred Rogers in the house. Everybody's fine. Tell it like it is. You, me, featuring Pastor Mark Robinson. Featuring your boy Johnny Hyde. By way of Bob France. WHK, take us home. If you're not dancing in your seat. There's a song called Everybody's Fancy. That I think everybody's fine. If you're not dancing in your seat, you and I can never be friends. Everybody's fine. Johnny Hiles up in the house, everybody. Unbelievable. Johnny Hiles wrote it, produced it, wrapped it, uh, and sent it to me, and that is out freaking standing work, Johnny Hiles. That is the remix of the year. We gotta make that go viral. We gotta make that go platinum. If you, uh, I'm going to put it somewhere. I'll probably put it on my social. I'll put it on Twitter, which is France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, R-A-N-T-Z. I'll put it on my Facebook. I'll put it on every place that I can find it. Make sure that you share this uh, with everybody because this is going to go viral. That is outstanding. Mr. Rogers laying it out for us, and Johnny Howes giving us the updated remix. Thank you, my good friend. Outstanding work. Let's get a couple more calls in here before the uh, end of the broadcast. Uh, Tanya's in Akron. Hey, Tanya, fire away. Hey, Bob. Long time since our fight we were on. Ah, I forgot about that, actually. Yes. We don't fight. Well, brothers and sisters fight. That's okay. We, that we, we fought. But yeah. fighting is good, you know. It we is. We have different opinions. Amen to that. So uh, That's what makes us conservatives. That's what makes us conservatives. We're not yeah. slaves to groupthink like the left is, right? Exactly. So okay. What you got Going today? back to what I've been preaching, we need to, uh, if we want our our leaders to do something to to be truthful to what they say and have the guts to stand up for their values. We need to do it in our families. Stop, get your kids out of public schools. Stop making excuses. Cut off their cell phone. If you're paying for a family plan, let them pay for their own. If you're sending someone to college and they're in any program that says studies in it, stop paying for it. <laughs> okay? And then okay. my government... If you're confused about what to say, I'm confused about what to say. I listen to you because you're local. I have given up listening to some of the the Fox people because I am getting more confused because their values weigh based on everything. Herschel Walker, 
he may not have been the ideal candidate, but he was better than Warnock. And for people to keep on saying he talked funny, we're saying the same things about him in closed doors that the the Democrats are saying about, you know, I am well, well, you know, I'm, I have to speak on that part. The idea that they said he talked funny or he didn't talk clearly, they voted for John freaking Fetterman, who has brain damage. We, they voted we, for Kamala Harris, who cannot speak without giggling and repeating herself and saying the dumbest things. They hired Kareem Jean-Pierre, who does the same thing. I mean, don't talk to me about somebody who doesn't sound but, articulate enough when you but, have but this we, in your party. But, we, but some people in Georgia bought into it. But we wouldn't vote. We wouldn't vote. Stand behind a Ben Carson. We wouldn't stand behind. Uh, the, I can't think of the guy that died a couple years. Pizza guy. Uh, oh 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 oh. Uh, uh, um, uh, Hank. Uh, uh, gosh, well, I cannot remember his name either. But he was he was terrific. Yeah, great man. Uh, but he was I'm, terrific. He was yeah. terrific. Okay. Yeah. So, another Georgia guy. I'm tired. Yeah, I did another Georgia. I am just tired of it. And if any if anybody can get to whoever runs the house, one of the things I want them to do is vote one bill, one thing at a time, and make it simple. We're gonna this idiot president of ours is gonna sign some called the Protect Marriage Act. Most people, it sounds good, so no one's gonna ever read it. It's the worst thing since sliced bread. Yeah, well, they call we it the, uh, the, the Respect for Marriage Act, which is disrespectful. By the way, uh, Tanya, it's uh, Herman Cain, just to throw that back at you. Herman I thought Cain, it up. Yeah. Herman Cain was terrific. I'm, I'm out of time. I got a jet here because the show ends in four, three, two, one. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Let's Bye-bye. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.